Signed up for everything going on. Be a part of our outreach to the community. If you have your Bibles, real quick, open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. This morning, the first Sunday of every month this year, I've made a change. And uh, I believe in our future. I believe in our future. And I believe in the future that God has for Solid Rock Face in our church. And what He wants to continue to do in Solid Rock Face. And I'm, I mean, in El Dorado County. And I'm thankful for the young men and women that God's raising up in our church, and we're blessed. And uh, Paul's instruction to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, Therefore you, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. And we have great faithful men in our church and uh, young men and uh, seasoned men that we are very proud of and uh, believe in the gift and the call of God that's in their lives. And so the first month of every, uh, first of every month this year, we have young men coming and seasoned men coming to, to speak into our lives. And this morning, it's my privilege and honor to introduce a young man of faith and power, Brother Chris Spencer, as he comes this morning. Welcome him, man of God. Come on. Amen. I love you, son. Is this thing on? You're on, baby. On? All right. All right. Hallelujah. Let me flip this thing over here. All right, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that today you would remove any veil of deception that would hold back anyone in this room or listening through the internet to enter your throne of grace with boldness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, raise up mighty men of God, sons of Ishakar, discerning the signs of the times that we are in, and be courageous, bold like a lion, proclaiming the truth of God's word and salvation through Christ our Lord. And I pray for all yokes of bondages of sin to be loosed and broken today through the power of the, of the, of the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. I want to start off by... Thanking my pastor for encouraging me and other men in this church. He's a mighty man of valor, and if you don't know him, you get you need to get to know him. Because he, he he's he's true, he's persistent, he doesn't waver back and forth, and he encourages men in this church to take a take a strong stand in the faith of, of Jesus Christ. And I also want to thank my mom and my my stepdad for encouraging me. When I went through, I went through four heart surgeries in high school, and through that, I dropped out of high school my sophomore year, and I didn't finish high school, and I felt like a failure in life, and I felt like committing suicide many times. I wanted to give up, and and I found the Lord in high school or uh, in the hospital, and he he radically changed my life, and my mom and my stepdad stood next to me and encouraged me never to give up. And that's what I'm going to do here today for you. <clears throat> the name of this sermon is Endure to the End. But first, I want to give you eight prophetic signs that show that we are the terminal generation that's going to see Jesus Christ return. I truly believe this. There are over ten prophetic signs, but I'm going to give you eight because I only have time to give you eight. Number one is the knowledge explosion. The first road sign confirming that we are the terminal generation is recorded in Daniel. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Daniel 12.4 
The literal translation of this scripture indicates that the terminal generation will experience a knowledge explosion. We are definitely that generation. From the Garden of Eden until A.D. 1900, men walked and rode horses just as King David and Julius Caesar. In the span of a few years, mankind invented the automobile, the jet plane, space shuttle. Medically, we have experienced such a knowledge explosion that medical science had to redefine death. Men can be kept alive indefinitely. Machines, miracle drugs. The knowledge explosion is evidenced by the information superhighway. You can sit in the quiet of your home and drown yourself in information and knowledge from the internet. Number two is the plague in the Middle East. The prophet Zechariah had a vision and didn't know how to describe what he saw. So he called the gruesome results a plague. This plague was sent to all men who came to fight against Israel in the last days. The plague would consume a man's flesh while he was yet standing. His eyes would, be, would dissolve in their sockets and his tongue would dissolve in his mouth. Zechariah 14, 12-15. Zechariah's plague was a mystery to my grandfather's generation. And then, then came the atomic bomb. It was invented. An atomic bomb can produce a temperature of 150 million degrees Fahrenheit in a, in a millionth of a second. This is how a man's tongue and eyes can be consumed before his corpse hits the ground. Zachariah's plague is no longer a mystery. It's atomic warfare, and it will be used in the Middle East. Number three is the rebirth of Israel. Every ma- major prophet in the Old Testament testified that God would bring the Jewish people out of their Gentile graves, Gentile nations, and bring them back into Israel before the coming of the Lord. May 15, 1948, Israel's reborn in a day as prophesied in Isaiah 66, verse 8. The rebirth of Israel is not a historical accident. It is the hand of God controlling the, the affairs of men. And as the prophecies of Israel said, He would thousands of years ago. Number, number four is international instant communication. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, or Revelation 11, 3, 7 through 10, John describes two witnesses who will be executed and their dead bodies would be seen three and a half days lying in the streets of Jerusalem by peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. For generations, Bible scholars question how these two witnesses could be seen at the same time by all the earth. Then came television, followed by international satellites. This was not possible in 1900. This was not possible in 1960. It wasn't possible in 1990. But because we are the terminal generation, we have the iPhone, Twitter, YouTube, amateur videos. You can go on YouTube and see gruesome amateur videos being taken over in in Arab countries, the the overthrow of Arab countries. So we are the terminal generation. Number five, days of deception. Jesus warned, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name. And will, and will deceive many. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders, so as deceive, even if possible, even the elect. Matthew 24, Jesus, Jesus warned us that the number one problem on the earth in the last days would be deception. Secular humanism is deception. New Age theories and philosophies are deception. Environmental gurus who teach that the earth is but breast of mother, mother goddess are doiling. And deception, Satanism and the occult are deception. The apostate church, which has a form of godliness but denies the power of, is practicing deception. Deception abounds, and so we are the terminal generation. And number six, 
famines and pestilence. America has the ability to feed the world, yet we pay farmers not to grow certain crops lest they glut the the market and drive prices down. And every night on television, we see starving children with bloating bellies, bulging eyes, and bare ribs. Why? Jesus said in the last days there would be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And number seven, earthquakes. God used earthquakes to communicate with the spiritually deaf. The Bible records at least 33 instances where God used an earthquake to get man's attention. The earthquake at Mount Sinai when Moses received the Ten Commandments. God used an earthquake in Jerusalem at the crucifixion to split the veil of the temple from top to bottom. He used an earthquake at the resurrection to roll the stone from the borrowed tomb, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in. The constant trembling of the earth is God's voice speaking through nature, reminding us that we are the terminal generation. And finally, the number eight, as in the days of Noah, Jesus said in Matthew, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. What characteristics mark the days of Noah? Jesus tells us that man's wickedness on earth was very great and very intent of the thoughts of his heart were continually evil. If you open the morning paper, you'll lose your appetite. Reading of the murders, rapes, school shootings, kidnappings, assaults, child abuse, spousal abuse, government corruption, drug addiction, drug wars, pornography, homosexuality, adultery, and fornication. This is the generation, is as Noah's generation, with the thoughts and tents of his heart continuously. This is how we know we are the terminal generation. But 66% of the church believes Bible prophecy is allegorical and not literal. Recent polls say at least half of the church believes in abortion and same-sex marriages. Let me touch on one more prophecy. As I'm speaking this message right now, there's a prophecy unfolding in the Middle East and Damascus. If you, if you, go, if you go in and look, in Genesis 12, Chapter 12, 1 through 3, the Lord told us that those who bless the children of Israel will be blessed, and those who curse them will be cursed. The Syrian government faces judgment for killing its own citizens. 7,500 plus, to be exact, have been murdered since last year. But also for killing so many Jews and Israelis over the years and cursing the state of Israel on a daily basis. Damascus is one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities in the world. So when we go to Jeremiah 49, verse 23 through 27, the prophet Jeremiah tells us in 23, against Damascus, Hamath and Arpad are shamed, for they have heard bad news. They are faint-hearted. There is trouble on the sea, and I, can't, and I cannot be quiet. Damascus has grown feeble. She turns to flee, and fear has seized her. Anguish and sorrows have taken her like a woman in labor. Why is the city of praise not, des- not deserted, the city of my joy? Therefore, young men shall fall in her streets, and all the men of war shall be cut off in the day, says the Lord of hosts. I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall, and it shall consume the places of Ben-Hadah. And then we turn over to Isaiah chapter 17, and it says, the burden against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city and it will be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aurora are forsaken and they will be flocks which lie down and no one will make them afraid. 
as I speak that right now, Damascus, I don't know when it's going to happen, but we all know that that city's in great turmoil. Moreover, Pastor Herschel Sanders said that the world has invaded the church rather than the church invading the world. And I agree. You turn your TV on and watch some of the preaching being done these days, and it sounds like more like Dr. Phil than St. Paul. And in, and in order to join that church, you would have to backslide and... <coughs> you would have to backslide from God's Word to be in fellowship with that church. The further a person moves away from the teaching and understanding of the Bible, greater their propensity to err in the personal life and more difficult their life becomes. We do not need more intellectual power. We need more spiritual power. We do not need more of the things that are seen. We need more of the things that are unseen. That was, that, was the, that was a quote from Calvin, Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president of the United States. Franklin Roosevelt said, A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. President Ronald Reagan said, Freedom prospers when religion is vibrant and the rule of the law under God is acknowledged. No one has ever found the Lord through stubborn-mindedness. 1 Samuel 15.23 says, Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So who is a stubborn person? This wouldn't be a good time to look at your wife right now. Look right up here. <laughs> a stubborn person is a person that will not change their mind or will not change their opinion when the compelling truth of God's Word says that they're wrong because their opinion and their thoughts and their wisdom is superior to the Word of God. Therefore, their wisdom is their God. Therefore, they are, on, they are in operating in intellectual idolatry. Dwight Eisenhower said, an intellectual is a man who takes more words than necessary to tell more than he knows. <clears throat> Many people across the world don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God because some bearded, pipe-smoking, intellectual demagogue at the university told you so. And you learned the three-word magic phrase of all pseudo-intellectual skeptics, and that three-word magic phrase is, I doubt that. You see, intellectual dodos say, I doubt that. It makes you think they really know something, but what they're really doing is carrying a sandwich board around saying, I'm ignorant and empty-headed. I, I, I don't have the knowledge and the facts of God's Word to defend a position, so I never take a position. I just go around saying, I doubt that. Because when you say, I believe in God, then you have to defend it. Then you have to give an explanation, and they don't have a clue to do that. So they just say, I doubt that. So since their soul is hanging in the balance on their glorious, infinite wisdom, let me give you the proponents of evidence in the Scripture. The Bible's a collection of 66 books written at least by 40 authors over approximately a 1600 year. The authors were historians, military generals, prophets, kings, politicians, a doctor, a rabbi, fisherman, and even a tax collector. It was written on three continents. And in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, when written, 25% of the word was prophetic, foretelling the future with 100% accuracy. No, no other book on the face of the earth even attempts to do that. So, con so consider the prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of years before he was born in the Old Testament tells us the time of his birth in Daniel 9. The, the, the fact of the virgin birth in Isaiah 7. The place of his birth in Micah 5. Twelve exact details of his life and death are given clearly in, in Psalms 22 and Isaiah 53. The fact of the resurrection is clearly in Psalm 16. 
that they would not believe him in Isaiah 53, 1, that he would be pierced through his hands and feet in Zechariah 12, 10. A one world class mathematician is calculated there could be one chance in 87, followed by 93 zeros that that was the byproduct of guess. In other words, it defies the hypo- no hypothesis of probability, meaning there is no guesswork. As far as proof is concerned, it's a fact. So don't gamble your soul on those kind of odds because they're not in your favor. I want to touch on something. In Matthew eleven twelve. it says, Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Some people struggle with this and they wonder, what is this talking about? Some people read this and say, what is he saying? This just means that we are in a warfare. And it isn't a matter if God loves me, everything will be all right in my life. God does love you. And and God has provided healing for you, prosperity for for you, and joy unspeakable and full full of glory. God's a 100% good God. And it's it's not God's will for a single person in here to be sick to be poor, to be defeated in any area of your life. God never made a piece of junk. God has never destined a single person to failure. God has destined and predestined every one of us to prosper. It is not God's fault if we're not winning and, and we aren't seeing greater things happen in our lives. But the kingdom of heaven is not only what God wills for us. There's an enemy out there and we are under attack. And because of that, Though it's God's will for you to get well, you don't just automatically get well. We have, we have an enemy that's trying to stop us. And you have to learn to fight and overcome. Even though it's God's will for you to prosper, you don't automatically prosper. You have to fight and take a stand to see those things come to pass. The kingdom of heaven is under siege and we are in a battle. And it's only the people that are violently resolved and said, Praise God, there aren't enough demons in hell to keep me from getting what God has given to me. And those are the people that are going to receive from God. And the rest of the people are going to, that are too passive to be like that are going to have to run to somebody else who is violently resolved to get them to do all their praying. And that's basically where the body of Christ is. You know one reason why we're so passive and we put up with sickness for years and years? You don't use your temper in the proper way. You're mad at people or you're mad at God or you're mad at circumstances, instead of understanding, you need to get mad at the devil and the spiritual powers that are holding you back. God gave you a temper, and there's spiritual power and ability released when you get to a place where you say, I've had all that I'm going to have. Enough is enough. Jesus Christ redeemed me from sickness. He redeemed me from poverty. He redeemed me from fear. He redeemed me from worry. He redeemed me from doubt. He redeemed me from unbelief. He redeemed me from my sin. If you're not rejoicing, it's because you're not believing God and His Word. You've allowed some other voice to creep in and depress you and to confuse you and to make you feel that you're all alone. No one cares about you. You're defeated. Just give up and and, and you'll never win the battle. That's wrong. Give up is not an option. It's always too soon to quit. A New, tw- a New Testament Christian must crucify the flesh and pick up his cross and endure to the end. I mean, never give up. The worst people on this planet are those who begin well and give up. Judas Iscariot became a disciple of Christ and then he betrayed our Lord with a kiss. He received 30 pieces of silver and then his conscience drove him to a tree where he hung himself. He began well and then he gave up. Adolf Hitler became his, began his career in a Catholic school wanting to be a priest. 
He began well, and then he gave up, and the demons from hell birthed the concept that gave the Holocaust, killing millions of Jews. He began well, and then he quit. Joseph Stalin and Karl Marx were both seminary students. They began well, and they gave up. Stalin murdered 30 million Russians. The Bible does not say those who begin will shall be saved. The Bible says they that endure to the end shall be saved. Listen, falling down doesn't make you a failure. Staying down makes you a failure. God has given you the word of God. Use it and drive the enemy out of your life and defeat the enemy. Then there's people who say, well, we've tried that once, but that just didn't work. That's wrong. You tried and you quit. There are no quitters in the kingdom of heaven. And then there's others who say, well, I wonder when God's going to do something in my life. And God's in heaven looking back at you and saying, I wonder when he's going to pray. The Bible says when you ask, you'll receive. The Bible says what you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. What you loose on earth, I'll loose in heaven. God has the power. Jesus said when you pray, not if you pray. God can't override our free moral agency until we release Him in Jesus' name to supernaturally invade your life. You haven't done anything about your problem until you've prayed about it in faith believing and released it under God and said, My God is able to deliver me. Satan's not afraid of your education or your opinions, but he's terrified of the Word of God. So go forth and attack the adversary with the Word of God. You are what this book says you are. You can do what this book says you can do. You can have what this book says you can have. The Word of God is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. This Word can conquer death. It can conquer disease. It can conquer demon powers. The Word can transform your twisted life and make it beautiful again. Daniel 11.32 says, But the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Another translation reads, and shall be strong and take action. The background of this verse is in Daniel 11. Daniel was a righteous Jew, and he was an example to America's spineless Caesar toast milk Christians who are now teaching this non-confrontational Christianity. I assure you, Daniel would not agree with any of you. First, Daniel was invited to the government banquet by the king. He was invited to eat meat, and he refused to eat the meat on the spot. Why? Because Daniel was a righteous Jew. He kept the Ten Commandments. You should not have no other gods before me. Most of that meat was sacrificed and dedicated to a foreign god when it was ritually slaughtered. And rather than put that meat in his mouth and profane his body lest he offend God, he said, I will offend the king, but I'm not going to offend God. Would you do that? Would you do that? You will either embarrass sin or sin will embarrass you. Your first step away from Christ is your first step into the arms of the prince of darkness. When you reject truth, all that's left is a lie. When you reject faith in God who will not fail you, you embrace fear. When you reject hope, you choose depression. When you reject love, you choose hatred. When you reject the Holy Spirit, you invite a dynamic spirit to invade your life. When you reject light, you you embrace darkness. Daniel chose to offend the king. Follow the story again. And Daniel and the three Hebrew children were invited to bow down to an image of Nebuchadnezzar. They said, if you bow down, it'll be over in just a few minutes. But if you don't, we're going to burn you alive. Think about it. It's going to be one little song. All we have to do is compromise and bow down to the golden image. And it's all over. And we can go to church and sing, grace, I'm forgiven, yee 
They put their lives on the line for one song, lest they offend God. And the king looked at the three Hebrew children in Daniel 3.15, and he said, Who is the God who is able to deliver you out of my hand? He is El Shaddai, the all-powerful one. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that supplies our need. He is Jehovah Rophe, the Lord your healer. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the light to the world. He is the way maker. He is the refuge and the fortress. He will never leave you nor forsake you. For there is nothing impossible to those that believe. For where there seems to be no way, He makes a way. If God before us, who can be against us? For our God is able to deliver us. He is, He was, and forevermore shall be. He is the conqueror of death, hell, and the grave. Demons tremble at the mention of His name. He is seated at the right hand of God with power and great glory, and His eyes are not filled with agony. His eyes are now a flame of fire. He's not some cosmic Santa Claus helplessly looking down at us like a coward. In His mighty right hand, He holds the seven churches for all age, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. His enemies could not defeat Him. Rome could not kill Him. The Pharisees could not confuse Him. The cross could not conquer Him. The grave could not contain Him. Nero could not silence Him. The ACLU will not conquer His Ten Commandments. The New Age... The new age will not replace His eternal gospel. He is unmoved. He is unconquered and undefeated. Out of His mouth will go a sharp sword, and on His robe and on His thigh His name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah, King Jesus. And the three Hebrew children looked looked at Him and said, My God is able to deliver us. But if not, we're going into the fire, believing He is God of all. And we're going to serve Him to the last breath if He does not save us. And some of us, when we see the fiery furnace, we say, Oh Jesus, if You really love me, don't put me in there. But it's only when you're in the fire that you discover just how great God is. Thirdly, Daniel's story. There's a conspiracy theory there's a, there's a conspiracy in the government to get everyone who prays to be thrown into a lion's den. Lions who had been starved for three days. Lions that were guaranteed to rip to shreds any human being that was thrown into the lion's den. Think about it. A special interest group called the ACLU, the Antichrist Lawyers Union, entered, entered into a conspiracy with Nebuchadnezzar to stop public prayer everywhere. Daniel knew God. He didn't hear about God. No, he knew Him personally. He stood firm. He took action. He didn't waver back and forth. And he didn't sneak down into his basement of his house and say, Oh God, oh God, this is a real time of persecution. I'm down here praying in my head, being real quiet so nobody hears me. I know you're still on the throne and I'm just going to serve you down here in the dark till they change the law someday. Amen. That's not, that's not what Daniel did. The Bible says that Daniel went to the window. The window was on Main Street. He lifted it, and he prayed a prayer, and he said, Blessed art thou, King, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, whose I am and whom I serve. I I praise your holy name. I don't care what the king has to say. I will not bend. I will not bound, because you are the only true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I serve you, and I serve you only. Amen. Did he get thrown to the lions? Yes, he did. 
And the lions fell asleep, and he slept on the lions because God was with him. God has this message to every person in this room. You may be in a financial battle. You may be in a legal battle, a battle for your health, a spiritual battle, a battle for your marriage, a battle for the well-being of your children. This is the word from the prophets of Israel towards you. Be bold. Be brave, for the Lord thy God is with you. He is the Lord of hosts. He is God Almighty. He has all power in heaven and in earth. He will scatter your enemies as the dust of the summer threshing floor. He will be with you to bring you the victory if you engage the enemy fearlessly. Psalm 68.1 says, Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Listen, faith is not believing that God can. Faith is believing that God will for you. God doesn't respond to our need. He responds to our faith. Many believe that God created the heavens and the earth and that God can bless with blessings pressed down, shaken together, and running over. But the problem is you don't believe it'll happen to you. So until you believe it'll happen to you, you will not live life without limits. God wants you to get that clear. He wants you to live life without limits. Listen closely. You will never outgrow warfare. You will never outgrow warfare. You must simply learn to fight the good fight of faith. When's the fight going to be over? When we get to heaven. Until then, we need to saddle up and suit up the victories ours in Christ the Lord. This book says, fight the good fight of faith. It says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It says, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It says, a friend of the world is the enemy of God. It says, he is not for me, is against me. When is it over? When we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing it will be. Until then, we need to put on the whole armor of God and engage the enemy fearlessly because the victory is ours through Christ the Lord. Listen. Your struggle is the only proof you have that you have not been conquered. Your struggle is the only proof you have that you have not been conquered. Let me tell you a true story. During the Civil War, a rich plantation owner was going duck hunting with his slave. And on the way to the lake, riding on the wagon together, the rich plantation owner looked over at his slave and asked, Moses, why is it that you are such a good person? You're a good Christian. You pray. You've learned to read the Bibles. You've learned to read so you could read the Bible. And all you have is trouble. Moses scratched his head and he said, I don't know, boss, but I'll ask the Lord to show me the answer. And after the hunt, Moses looked at his owner and said, I have the answer why I'm always in a struggle and you never have one. And the rich plantation owner looked at Moses and snickered and smiled and said, well, tell me why. Because I'm the one who's rich. I never have a problem. I never go to church. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't have any struggles at all. I don't tithe. Tell me. And Moses saw the answer. He said, Moses, I saw the answer while you were shooting those ducks on the lake. There are only two kind of ducks, boss, out there. The dead ducks that you shot and the other ducks that were struggling to get away. He said, boss, you, tra- you chased those struggling ducks with all your might because they were trying to get away. You left those dead ducks alone because you knew you could come and pick them up and sack them up at any time. God's answer is this. I'm struggling to get away from the devil, but you're a dead duck, boss, because you're already in the devil's sack. 
If you have no struggle, don't point your sanctimonious finger at someone else because it may be you're already sacked up, tagged and bagged by the prince of darkness. Your struggle's proof that you've not been conquered. Listen, Satan doesn't go after what he already controls. Think about that. If you can't... This, this is a hard thing here, but I, I, I'm just going to say this because it, 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 I'm going to preach it to myself. If you can't go to God's house and praise His holy name while you're here on earth breathing, what makes you think God's going to take you to His house when you die? It's an honest question. It's an honest question, and we need to ask us ask ourselves that question. Am I more in love with the world than I am Jesus? Am I more in love with Hollywood than the Holy Spirit? Do I really know God or do I just know about God? Am I really truly saved and my sins are forgiven and my name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Am I truly set free or is my, or is my life filled with addictions? Am I more loyal to, not, to my denomination than I am Jesus Christ? What you give yourself up, up to is what you'll worship. Who's the Lord of your life? And most important, who are you? And who have you allowed yourself to to become? You cannot change what you will not confront. If you never confront the sin in your life, you'll never be converted of the sin in your life. If you're never converted of the sin in your life, you'll never be born again. You don't psychologically, therapeutically enter into the gates of heaven thinking good thoughts and doing good deeds. You enter because of the confession of your, of your sins with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. Romans 10.10 10. 1 John 1, 8-10 It says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So consider those words, should not perish. And then consider, but have everlasting life. Why? Because if you don't go to the cross, you will perish. All of us have sinned. I've sinned. We've all sinned on a regular basis. Some of us kill other people's reputation with our toxic tongues. We murder friendships with gossip. We've torn down members of the body of Christ through accusation. Some lie and lie routinely. Some use God's name in vain and disgust. You may be an adulterer. Many are addicted. Pornography, you've got got it on your computer. Some are addicted to drugs, alcohol, prescription drugs, marijuana. I'm telling you right now, God will forgive you. If you come to the cross, if you come to the cross, I don't care what you've done. In Luke, the 16th chapter, it says, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, now let me stop for a minute. This is not a parable. This is a true story. These are real names. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted and you're tormented. 
Think about it. Yesterday, the rich man had all the wealth he could buy, the most expensive wines known in any amount, and now the tables of God's justice have been turned. And he begs for one drop of water and couldn't get that. But he knew who he was. He knew how he was. He knew that he was lost forever. He looked from a waterless inferno, inferno to a place called paradise where the sparkling rivers of life beneath the throne of God. He looked from a city whose inhabitants were murderers, liars, rapists, child molesters to a city filled with happy, holy, laughing, loving people surrounded by the angels of God. He heard the screams of hell's tortured legions and he listened to the saints of God singing on the hills of glory. He heard from a city where the, where, the, where the wicked could never be at rest, for they were tormented day and night. And he looked into a city where they were in perfect rest. He heard Satan laugh in his faith, face and say, You fool! You fool! You came to church once or twice. You sang a few songs, but you never accepted Christ. You said there'd be a better day someday, but not today. You never prayed the sinner's prayer. You never became a new creature. You were never truly saved. You thought happy thoughts, but you never went to the cross. Welcome home. You're here forever and forever. Well, you, well, well, Chris, I don't believe in a loving God that would send anybody to hell. You're right, He doesn't. We send ourselves by rejecting the sacrifice He made on behalf of you and I. Jesus Christ, if you reject Jesus, there remains no other way. Therefore, you go to the great white throne judgment to be formally sentenced on your own behalf. That's in Revelations 20. What a horrifying day that would be. If you leave this service without the Lord and you were to die without Jesus Christ, I don't want to even explain to you what the, what the Scriptures say, but I do want to tell you what's heaven like. I'll give you one sentence description. Paul says the half has not entered into the minds of men what God has prepared for His own. God said, I have prepared a place that is so breathtaking that you simply won't believe it. And I want all of you to go there. That's why I've given you the compelling truth of God's Word, never changing Word. I want you to join Jesus and say yes. If God can take my screwed up, broken life, the zoo called you, and give me hope, and give me a new beginning, He can do it for each and every one of you in this room. Because he's the re- he, he is in Revelations 22, the Alpha and the, and, and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and the author and the finisher of our faith. Acts 4.12 says, For there is no other name given among men on where we might be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name. The church is the hospital for the spiritual wounded. or It's for the wounded. Bill, could you come back to the keyboards, please? It is a place where the rejected can come and feel the love of God. The church is a place for the hopeless and the hurting. Hear me, from the guttermost to the uttermost, God can save you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how low you've fallen. Moses was a murderer, but God used him to liberate his people out of Egypt. King David, he was an adulterer. He was a murderer, but God used him to establish the city of Jerusalem. St. Paul... He was, a black, he, was, he, was, he was on his road, on the road to Damascus trying to persecute and kill Christians. But he had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he went on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. If God can use any of those men, He can use you. And you need to understand that. And you need to get that down on the inside of you. Because greater is He that's within you than he that's within the world. You are a child of God. 
And God's predestined each and every one of us in here to live to our full potential in Christ Jesus. And he wants you to, to fulfill your call in Jesus' name. Can we all stand? Does your life seem broken down? Have your dreams been shattered? Does your marriage or your family need restoration? Has Satan invaded your life and robbed you of your hope? Has he robbed you of your promise that God's prosperity? Has your life lost its sense of purpose and direction? Do you feel frustrated and defeated? There's redemption at the cross. The Lord wants to restore you now if you will move towards Him in faith believing and move towards this altar. He loves you more than you'll ever comprehend, more than you'll ever know. He knows you like, like you better than you know yourself. That is why I've brought you the compelling truth of God's Word. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, you might be here and you say, I don't know, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know Him right now as my Lord and Savior. If that is you right now, I want you to raise your hand right now. Maybe, maybe you're here and you, you went to church and you've backslidden and you, you want to restore your relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you, raise your hand. Amen. I feel that there's somebody in here right now and you have more of a fear of man than you do God and you're afraid that if you step out in boldness what will people think about you what will you what will they think of you and I want you to understand that's a lie from the pit of hell Satan's trying to get you to stay where you're at and not move out of your comfort zone and if you move to this altar Jesus will restore you like never before. This is the time. This is your moment. This is your moment to step out. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear hold you back. Let's all pray this prayer together. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I come to you and ask You to forgive me of all unrighteousness. Help me to stay strong in the Lord and do great exploits for Your kingdom purpose. Help me to fulfill the call that You have on my life. Help me, Lord Jesus, to not be deceived I give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a praise this morning.
You know, fire can be intimidating, but it also can be contagious. Amen. There's something about believing God with passion. Amen. Having a heart of passion and zeal for God. Everything about today tries to get you to water down truth. Live on the half side of truth, not sold out to it. I thank God for young men on fire with no compromise in their life. Amen? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Some of you, as Chris was preaching, you wonder, do I have that much courage? Do I have that much confidence that I could speak and put everything on the line for God like that? not to do anything other than to encourage somebody else. Some of you God's working on to try to stir you and take you to a new place in Him. And God will send somebody along to exhort you to that place. Amen. Some of you got stirred today. How many say that's me? Amen. Amen. Let God do something in your life takes you someplace you've never been before. Amen? That'll take you someplace you've never been before. Today, more than any other day, we need men and women like Chris that stand up, that are not ashamed. Amen? I wish he went to a church that was radical. Amen. But God wants to do something great through your life. Just, I just feel this. I'm not trying to hold you, but you say, God, I, I just, I don't want to stay in my comfort zone. I, I don't want to stay there. I know the season, the day, and the hour. I, I gave you the word of the Lord for this year that was lead us not into temptation. One of the greatest temptations we live and fight against is comfort in our walk with God, getting that place where we're comfortable with God. If you're here this morning, you want to break out of that comfortable place. Just step up here real quick this morning. Step up here real quick this morning. Chris, come up here with me. Amen. Say, God, I don't want to be comfortable. I want to do this. Some of you were watching him preach and say, God, would I have that much boldness? Would I have that much courage? God, I want that in my life. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be intimidated. I don't want to be moved. Like he said, you're afraid of what people will think about you. If you speak your heart, share your heart. So you find a way to, to back it down a couple notches. Instead of just being true to the person that God made you. Amen. Amen. I just right where you're at, raise a hand or both hands up to heaven. And just right now, just begin to sell out to God. Ask God to forgive you. God, I'm not going to compromise anymore. I'm not going to back up anymore. I'm not going to let go anymore. Hallelujah. Come on, just sit right here. Just stretch your hands. I'll start praying for you right now. Come on, Chris and I are just stretching our hands towards you. We're not going to lay hands on you, but we're just praying for a release of boldness in your life. Come on, something today stirred on the inside of you. That's why we move. That's why we say yes to God. Now you just stir something up. 
Paul said to Timothy, he said, Son, there's a gift on the inside of you. Now fan it to a flame. Stir it up. Father, we pray over these this morning. We command the release of your power, your anointing through their lives. God, stir it up on the inside of them. Stir it up on the inside of them, God. Father, we're not going to back up. We're going to confront. We're going to speak. We're going to be bold. We're going to be declare. Lord, your word is be bold, be strong, be courageous. Father, that's our heart. That's our desire. Father, move in these lives this morning. Move in these lives this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, just give God. Say yes to Him right out of your heart. Say yes to Him right out of your heart. Yes, God.